Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. says these words, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're starting this evening here for the topic of the Beatitudes for the next several weeks in the series on the Beatitudes. Very simply, my subject matter tonight is the poor in spirit. Amen. Let's ask God to touch us. I know this is different, but different doesn't have to be horrible. All right, let's talk to him. God, I love you right now. I'm asking, oh God, open up our minds and our understanding, Father. God, as we, Lord, delve into your word tonight, Jesus. Help my mind, help my heart, Lord. Mark any air from my mouth. I pray, oh Lord, there are truths in your word. God, that's applicable for me and my life. I pray, oh Lord, I want to Jesus partake, God, of those things and apply them where they are necessary tonight. God, strengthen us this evening. Help us, Lord, to hone in, God, upon your word. God, not be easily distracted, but Jesus, God, keep our mind and our attention upon you. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you tonight. Matthew chapter number 5, the Beatitudes. Actually, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 will cover what is known or many people attribute to being the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 5, the first 16 verses or so of Matthew 5 kind of deal with what we would call Uh, true Christianity or true Christian character because it deals with the character of a Christian and so those are about the first 16 verses and then the rest of of Matthew chapter number 5 or really the Sermon on the Mount for that matter the rest of the Sermon of the Mount deals with the conduct of the Christian or we might say the conduct that grows out of the character because conduct does come from our character Uh, Character always comes first and then conduct. For that matter, you may be able to uh, characterize someone, who they are, what they are, by their conduct because what we are determines what we will do. All right? What we are determines what we will do. Um, Earlier, well, I say in the latter portion of the school year, I know here I am bringing it up and it's out now, but the latter portion of uh, the school year, and I'm using this, and I don't always uh, do this as far as, I try to veer away from using my family, but they're the ones I know the most, okay? But, uh, but there is a danger sometimes in doing that. But the latter portion of the school year, uh, little Mariah, and she'll probably hear me, and her head will pop up, uh, but Mariah came to a place around Christmas time and on that she was just really, really just, acting even more so than what I acted at her age, which if I had other people here, probably my family, they would say, oh, my goodness. And uh, we were really having to take some really drastic extremes concerning her conduct. And I remember around Christmas time, prior to Christmas, 
uh, because of things just being so ill, uh, we went Dr. Phil on her. We took everything out of her room except for her clothes. And she didn't have any stitch of uh, toys or books or squat. It all went. And uh, as a result of that, we were trying to do some corrective behavior. We believe in discipline in our home. We discipline according to the book of Proverbs and apply it in the right places and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, nothing was getting better. Rather, it grew worse. As a matter of fact, I was dreading every time on Monday. On Mondays, I typically pick her up from school. I was dreading it because always the teacher would be out there with the other kids. She says, don't leave yet. I need to talk to you. And that was becoming a steady flow almost every Monday. Don't leave yet. I need to talk to you. And it's usually not because of a praise report. And uh, so uh, I was having these conversations, and my wife and I was wringing our hands, doing everything we knew to do, even uh, called in for extra support from my parents of what any guidance that they could give or help, even in just talking as the grandparent, maybe having a little bit more strength, you know, you know, and validity and being the grandma or grandpa, you know, and saying something. And it just seemingly was not getting any better. My wife will verify that fact. But as we were laying in bed one night, these are several weeks removed from that December time frame. As we was laying in bed one night, I was thinking about it because Mariah is on a medication and has been ever since she was just a real young girl uh, to help with her allergies. It's an allergy, also asthma type of medication. And I asked my wife because she takes this uh, every day, at least for the past year she has taken for every day. It used to, we just give it to her as needed, but they, we had the supply and had it free, which was a blessing within itself for another time to talk about. But nevertheless, and uh, so she was on this. And I said, dear, I said, and just in my mind, I said, is there any way possible that's hurting her liver? You know, I just, you know, I knew some medicines could do that, you know. So she started looking into it. And as she began to read, she read, though other occurrences, not concerning liver, but of uh, children's behavior who is on this is very defiant, deliberate, just out of the norm. And we think, man, this is just, this is describing our daughter. And as a result of that, we took her off of it. And uh, as time would go on, uh, instead of staying after to talk about something bad, there's something good going on. And she's getting these high fives they talk about at school. And we're getting notes home how much of a pleasure she is to have in class. And all this varied stuff. Now, did that cure all the ills? No, because she's a, almost a six-and-a-half-year-old six, six girl. So that's going to happen. But what it came down to was this. She was on something that was affecting who she was. And as a result of it, it influenced her conduct. Amen. And because of her conduct, we were characterizing her a certain way. Uh, she probably got some things that she should have never got, but because of what she was on, it was changing who she was. But I just said all that tonight, that your character will influence your conduct. And she was on something that was affecting her character. And as a result of that, it influenced her conduct. And so that's what the Lord is dealing here with in Matthew chapter number 5. Instead of sometimes going out and trying to hit the surface issues of trying to rearrange conduct in our own life or in the life of the church, the real matter is a character issue, not necessarily a conduct issue. If you can influence and impact the character, you will ultimately impact and influence the conduct. Verses 3 through 12 of Matthew 5 is the section of the Sermon of the Mount that are called the Beatitudes, or if you will, if I may pause and say, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, the attitudes we should be. There are eight different ones that are listed there in Matthew 5. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, the first four, and this is kind of like a, a Ten Commandment type thing, but the first four are really a little bit more vertical between man 
and his maker, his God, and the second four are more so horizontal between man and another man. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is partially spoken of again. You know, there's the harmony of the Gospels that sometimes you can find one story in all four Gospels and they differ a little bit. And in doing so, then there comes a harmony and you get the full picture of the story. There's a little bit of that concerning the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. You can find an abbreviated version of that in Luke chapter number 6. Although there are two distinct occasions, the Lord's on the mountain one time delivering them. On another time, uh, he delivers an abbreviated version from a, a boat of one of the fishermen. And whenever we look at the Beatitudes, they are just the components of the Sermon on the Mount. And whenever you consider, let me put everybody's mind at ease because when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount and realize it lasted chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, you should thank me every day whenever I get done ministering and preaching. Because you see red letters start popping up about the third verse of chapter 5, and those red letters are continuous. If you have a red letter edition Bible, those red letters are continuous until about the third to last verse in chapter number 7. The Lord, I mean, he's on the road, folks. I mean, he's, he, he, you gave him the mic, and he's opening up, and, and he's all over the place, too. It's a little bit of those scrambled eggs that we talked about a few weeks ago. Masters are really, he's a, he's a little bit all over the place in this lengthy discourse that he's given to the people. I tell you what's amazing to me. I know I'm a little lighthearted right here, but what's amazing to me is whenever he gets done, there's two things concerning the people. Number one, they're astonished at his doctrine. And number two, they can't believe the authority that he taught with. I can't always say whenever I end, that's the response that's from the people, that they're astonished at my doctrine and that, uh, uh, that they can't believe the authority that I taught or preached with. But among, why was the loudest voice from that laugh from my wife? But in this, in Matthew chapter number five, there is a large group of people that has followed the Lord to this location uh, around about here, the mountain in that location close to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the last verse of chapter number four tells us that this multitude came from a lot of different places. There were people from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea, uh, places even that were beyond Jordan. And whenever you read the scripture setting, you understand why the multitude or the crowd is there. The multitude and the crowd is there because many of them are there because of the healings that are taking place. Uh, many of them are there because of the miracles, the signs, because of people that had unclean or uh, possessed uh, with spirits, they have been set free. And that's a large reason why the multitude has showed up. But the Bible says in verse number one of Matthew 5 that his disciples came unto him when he was set. In other words, in that day, in their time, it was customary that whenever the rabbi or the teacher taught that he would set down. He would set whenever he taught. And so the disciples drew near unto the Lord. They drew near unto the Savior whenever he sat down because they knew if he's setting, he's about ready to start teaching. He's about ready to start sharing some pearls of wisdom. So they drew near unto the Lord, we see in Scripture, whenever he set. The Bible doesn't say the whole multitude drew near. It doesn't say all the crowds of people from Decapolis and all these other places. It just says that the disciples drew near. I believe un uh, undoubtedly tonight that the Beatitudes are good for the disciples and for the multitude. That it is good for uh, believers and it is good for unbelievers. It is good for those who are serious 
about their walk with God and it's good for those who are on the fringe being a spectator concerning the things of the Lord. But for the disciples, the Beatitudes was different than what it was for the multitude. For the disciples, the Beatitudes was going to be some instruction for them. But for those that were just on the fringe, the Beatitudes would just be an introduction to everything that God really wanted and had for them. You know what's amazing to me? The disciples draw near and the multitudes, whatever, may stay right where they were in their particular location concerning where they were uh, in, in relationship to the Lord. You can almost label uh, the people in the audience by uh, when they are most eager to draw nigh to God, whether they're most eager to draw nigh to Him whenever it's miracle time or message time. Amen. Because at message time, the disciple says, let's draw near to the Savior. And everybody else says, I'll come near whenever it's miracle time. And you'll find, though, a disciple, they'll be there at message time and miracle time. You can almost label the audience according to when they're eager to draw near. If you'll go with Malachi chapter number 4 with me this evening, Malachi 4 and verse number 4, these are some of the final words of the Old Testament. And the Bible says, remember ye... The law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. He's speaking of John the Baptist, okay? Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children, to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. There are some parallels drawn between the law that was given unto Moses in the Old Testament and seemingly what the Lord is sharing with the people of New Testament Scripture right here on a mountain. Number one parallel is that they both were on a mountain. Moses goes up onto a mountain to receive a word from the Lord, but he brings that back down to deliver it to the people. But Jesus goes up to a mountain and the people, particularly the disciples, follow him to hear it. In Moses' case, he went up there and got a law. Everybody stayed at the base of the mountain. He brought it back down to them. But in the new covenant, the law and what was going to be shared with them, when Jesus went up to the mountain, the people were allowed, maybe should I say even encouraged, go on and come up to the mountain with me. Uh, in other words, it's not going to be brought back down to you. You need to go to it. You now are in an era that you need to take the initiative to go up the mountain and go up the mountain and receive it. There, there is a, a, a spirit is revealed from the word go, I believe then, uh, through these people and their response or lack of response because those that are desiring to go after it are those that are realizing their need. Okay, those that, are, those, those that are willing to pursue it are those that realize their need. You know, you've heard people say, well, I'm not going there, I don't need that, you know. Or you've heard that, bro, I want, why do I need, I don't need that. Because if you're going to pursue something, go somewhere. You know, this morning, I, uh, before I came over here to the church, I ran to the grocery store and got a gallon of milk. Well, actually half a gallon. But uh, regardless, I went there because I needed it. Now, I wouldn't just normally get up on a Wednesday morning, go to the grocery store, walk through the aisles and exit the building because I have no need of going there. So I pursue or go somewhere, 
particularly in this episode analogy of the store because I understand I need something. Lord, he is trying to describe through scripture. There's a different, it's a different air now. I know before we went to the mountain, we had a mediator and he brought it back down to you. He said, but you're in the air now, you're gonna have to take some initiative. If you, you, you realize your need, you're gonna be pursuing this. If you realize uh, you, you're being in a position of want, then you're gonna need to pursue this. If you will, it really comes to our first beatitude that we're faced with here. Blessed is the poor in spirit, which is really realizing our need. Uh, And there were some people there that was already displaying that through their action of going to the Lord. They understood they didn't have it all. They didn't have it all together. They didn't have everything that they needed in life. You'll notice in Malachi 4, in the very last word of verse number 6, the last word of the Old Testament scripture, the Old Testament closes with the word curse. Now, wouldn't you love to go into a series of dark ages and times, no one hearing from God, no angels, nothing, and the last word that was spoken from the mouth was curse? I don't think I would. But it, that curse was contingent really he says I'm going to send John the Baptist I'm going to send Elijah the prophet which he's speaking of John the Baptist and he says and he's going to do all these things he says and he's going to be there or lest I come I smite the earth with a curse he said he's going to have to show up be a forerunner make a way uh, put forth some examples or I'm coming with a curse and a curse is never God's approval of your life all right uh, a curse and even when somebody literally curses with profanity that usually isn't something happy go lucky towards you alright so he closes with a curse so God's going to be coming with a curse but John the Baptist does come we see in scripture he precedes the Lord by several months and he sets an example before the people and so whenever Jesus shows up now in the New Testament and he be, he's beginning his preaching here and a particularly lengthy preaching now on the sermon there on the mount. He's preaching and he now instead of bringing a strong proclamation of a curse, he brings a strong proclamation of blessed or blessed. Blessed is so and so forth. So he's changed from his intentions when it closed in the Old Testament of coming with a curse, now coming forth with a blessing or blessed. Why? Because John the Baptist showed up. But what's so important about John? Because John set an example so well before the eyes of the people for the type of teaching that Jesus was going to be bringing to them. In John 3 and verse 30, John the Baptist, in speaking to some of his disciples, he said, he had such a great example. He said, he, speaking of God, or Jesus rather, must increase. He said, but I must decrease. How in the world can you accept blessed is the poor in spirit? For theirs is the kingdom of God because there was a man that foreran and came among them and by his example in his life was already showing them, hey folks, I am not all there is. There's one coming after me whose shoe I cannot even unlatch. I baptize you into repentance, but he shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost, amen, and with fire. And I, I got to decrease. We got to become poor in spirit we got to lay down our pride and we got to lay down our selfishness in order for him to have prominence in our life so right before the people John the Baptist has been living this example before them he encompassed if you will the spirit of being poor in spirit John had decreased and so instead of the Lord coming down the New Testament scripture with his curse he's able to come with a blessing upon his people 
because they've had it live before them and there are some of them are even picking up upon this idea. Whenever you weren't looked this evening, all the Beatitudes start out with blessed, blessed, blessed. The word translated blessed in our passage of Scripture, it means a plural of excellence. In other words, it signifies the manifold blessings of life. The manifold blessings of life are the poor in spirit. The manifold blessings of life are they that mourn. The, man, the manifold blessings of life are the meek. Amen. Some uh, even Bible translators have translated uh, blessed being fortunate or happy. But uh, happiness is really a, a crude translation because in our world today, happiness is described but one has or where one is at. They describe their happiness by those terms. But happiness really isn't uh, what we have or where we are, but it's in being. Amen. Uh, if you understand Scripture, there are different accounts. We read of Scripture that Paul at one time is singing in a dungeon. Singing dungeon. Doesn't correlate very well, does it? But we also have a man by the name of Belshazzar, the Bible says. He's trembling, yet he's at a royal banquet. So the victory that we have in life is not necessarily found uh, concerning our, our circumstances or a change of circumstances, but it's in a change of heart, a change of spirit, if you will. And he says, and when we look at the word blessed, blessed doesn't necessarily apply to human emotions in particular. Uh, and blessed is really a statement on how God sees or identifies his people that are living a certain way. Uh, Max Licato years ago wrote a book called The Applause of Heaven which was concerning the Beatitudes. The root idea of blessed is the approval of God. Whenever he said blessed is the poor in spirit, God says I approve of that type of action. The, mourn, the mournful, those people that are mourned, blessed are they to mourn, I approve of that. I, I applaud. Could you imagine that? God applauding you. I know that's a hard idea to uh, think of, but he says, I, I approve of that behavior. So here we are again, the approval of God. He's approving of all these things, and it's totally diametric to the way society was in that day. People mourning, people poor in spirit. I mean, the Pharisees are the people that, man, it's all external outside show. You know, they're all about prayers that can be heard and seen in the marketplace. Fasting's their face, you know, make it look just bad. Yeah, I've been without food for three days. And they're all about giving tithe of anise and coming, you know, really high things. Something that can all be seen. But where you start talking about poor in spirit, we're talking about more about inward matters. See, they're, they're all concerned with the external. But God, he says, I'm concerned with the internal because the internal will eventually affect the external. And so he's saying, I'm approving of a life that is internally correct. Now look again at John the Baptist here. He's the one who forerun the Christ. John the Baptist had already related this blessing type of aspect in so many words. In John 3, the same chapter we have already looked at in verse 27, John answered, he's talking to a man because a man said, here, John, you're baptizing, but this other fellow, he's speaking of Jesus, he's over there baptizing too. And he's got some followers. And you got some followers. What's going on? And John answered and said unto him, he said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. If I could state it like this, a man cannot be blessed unless it comes from heaven. And I'd say in these words, anything given to you 
whose origin is not heaven, it's the same as receiving nothing. Someone hear just what I just said. It's the same as receiving nothing. Amen. It's the same as not being blessed because you can only receive per se something if it comes from heaven. Amen. And whatever he spoke to us concerning the first beatitude, blessed is the, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He did not say, for theirs is a portion of the kingdom of heaven. He did not say, theirs is a facet or a road or a half, you know, divided this thing up and we're going to feed it to you by crumbs, you know. Here's a portion of the kingdom of heaven, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You understand the magnitude of what you received by your humility and lowliness and sense of need? You've received not a part of the kingdom. You have received the kingdom of heaven. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like Brother Fred maybe allowing me to have a room in his house. And, and, and to, to make the similarity here, though he said, hey, you don't, you don't have just a room in my house. He said, you got my whole kingdom. You got my house, my car, my lawn, the work that comes with it. <laughs> you, you got the whole kingdom. And that's what the Lord gave unto us. So whenever we look at the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, they're, they're interrelational and they almost seem to be a little progressive. You got to start here at blessed are the poor in spirit in order to get to the step of blessed are they that mourn and blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Why? Because you will not mourn and you will not be meek and you will not hunger or thirst after righteousness if you're not already poor in spirit, if you never sense your need. Amen. Because proud people have trouble mourning. Proud people have problems being meek. Proud people have problems admitting, admitting is the key word, that they're hungry or they're thirsty. But the mourner later can be comforted and the meek can later inherit the earth and the hungry and thirsty can later be filled with righteousness because firstly, they were poor of spirit. They were humble and they knew that they had a sense of need but more than just knowing they had a sense of need they were eager in pursuit of getting the need met beyond themselves. Amen. And so because of that, because of all that the whole kingdom, the kingdom is theirs. Amen. The kingdom is theirs. How can now the one that mourn be comforted? Because through being poor of spirit they've already got the kingdom. You hearing what I'm telling you right now? How, how can that hungry and thirsty now be filled? Because already being through poor of the Spirit, they already received the kingdom. Amen. Did not the Bible, we hear in New Testament Scripture, amen, that, that, that the, His kingdom was not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost? Well, that's just a few. We could stay comfort and, and be in field and a whole lot of other things that make up the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And whenever you're poor in spirit and you come before God and realize your need, all of that belongs into you. If you'll turn with me to an Old Testament passage, and some of you are going to think I'm about ready to get into Elijah here. But 2 Kings chapter number 4, I'm not. Elisha just a little bit though. 2 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 3. Remember the lady, uh, the debtors have come to take away her sons. Her husband is dead. She is a widow. They're coming to take away her boys. 
and, uh, and she's, she's very sorrowful because she needs some money. The creditor has come. And uh, Elisha shows up and he comes to her door and he says, lady, what do you have in your house? She says, I don't have anything in my house save a pot of oil. And the Bible says that Elijah told her in verse number 16, he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Even, everybody say, empty even empty vessels, borrow not a few. So she has the boys and everybody go out. They start borrowing vessels. Yet the criteria for the vessel that Elisha said, this is the way God wants it. He wants empty vessels. I don't want full vessels. I want empty vessels. Go get empty vessels and borrow not a few. So she goes get the vessels and, and they go into the room and they shut the door, the Bible says, and, and she begins to pour from that pot of oil into a vessel. It fills up, sets it aside, get another empty vessel. She pours, fills it up, set it aside, another empty vessel. And here's this little pot, man. It's supplying all this. Oil's flowing. Man, the miracle's happening because we got all these empty vessels and she starts pouring that in those empty vessels and verse number six says that it came to pass when the vessels were full all that they had gathered together when all the vessels were full that she said unto her son bring me yet a vessel. Literally, what she's really meaning bring me yet another empty vessel. Because the oil's only flowing into empty vessels. And he said to her, there is not a vessel more, if I could say. There is not an empty vessel more. And the Bible says, and the oil stayed, or the oil stopped. So in 2 Kings 4, the criteria for the blessing of the oil to flow was an empty vessel. <laughs> not a full vessel but an empty vessel. And when there were no more empty vessels, the blessing, the flow of the oil stopped. Because if I could say, blessed are the poor in spirit, let me go back in Old Testament times and say, blessed are the empty vessels. Blessed are the empty vessels, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For back then, for theirs is the miracle, the vessel that was empty. So when we come before God, you know, so I, I don't know where the idea came from, but people get this mindset that they got to come before God and they got to have it all together. They got to come before God and they have to have their T's crossed and their I's dotted. And, you know, I, I've even heard people say, well, I can't go down to the altar and pray. I got this and this going on. Honey, that's the reason why I go to the altar. It's not because I got it all together. It's because I don't have it all together. You know, we start identifying people. My Lord, they, they pray two hours, you know. They must be really spiritual. Man, if I pray two hours, it's not because I'm really spiritual. It's because I know I'm not very spiritual, and I need that. You hear what I'm talking about? Amen. So it's coming to the Lord as an empty vessel, poor in spirit, without, in need. Nothing there, God. There's nothing there. What do you got to provide to the Lord? Nothing. Man, you are a prime candidate for a miracle. What do you got to offer? Nothing. You are a prime candidate for being blessed. You're a prime candidate for receiving everything that the kingdom has to offer. Mm -hmm. There are two primary Greek words for the word poor here in Matthew 5. One means, and I've seen both of these, one means you have just enough to get by, and the other means you have nothing at all. You know, poor is a very subjective term. You hear some people, I tell you what, I'm poor. <laughs> All their bills are paid and they still can put a little bit back in their nest egg and they still go out to eat and all that stuff, but they're poor. 
To them, they just have barely enough to scrape by. The poor that I'm acquainted with is whenever you don't have anything. All right. <laughs> Two different ideas of poor here. And the one that's being described in Matthew chapter number five, speaking of being poor in spirit, is the second one. Having nothing at all. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit that have nothing at all. In other words, this person is utterly helpless in the spirit. This person is completely dependent on someone else when it comes to the spirit. Amen. As a matter of fact, the Greek text actually renders it just like this. Blessed are the spiritual beggars. Yes, God. Maybe we need to start praying that. God, just make me a spiritual beggar. You know, because here it is. The spiritual beggar comes. They have humility of heart. They sense, they sense there's, they have this sense of great need in their life. But third, the third thing is the most important. Outside of their humility and their sense of great need. Number three, they ask for what they need. Because some people get stuck in a, row, a spot. They, they know they have a great need, but they're not going to pursue anything. You can be humble and, and, and you can feel you know, the helplessness that you might have. That's all one thing. But to look above for the help, to reach out to the help, is something altogether different. The Bible in Luke chapter 15 and verse 14, Sister McGee, this evening, a uh, story of the prodigal son. Uh, the Bible says when he had spent all, there arose a mighty family in the land and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. So the prodigal has come to a very defining moment in his life right here whenever he begins to be in want. But I believe there's one that even trumps that, if you will, whenever he says in verse number 18, he says now, so he's came to want. What's going on? I sense that I'm in need. <laughs> and then he goes on and says, though, in verse 18, I will arise and... Go to my father. Now that's what he said. When people get in these divisions, I feel like I'm in need. Everyone says, I'm going to do something about this. <laughs> Sometimes it stops there. But that's not the case for him. And look, though, after he said, I realize I'm in need, the Bible says how he reacted after he said, I am in need. I, 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 he began to be in one that he went to join himself to a citizen of that country went to join himself to a citizen of that country that far country that he had journeyed to that far country that he had made himself a part of in other words he tried to be benefited by someone who was of the same country a country that was experiencing famine he was trying to be benefited by someone who was in the same position that he was in the bible says in Hebrews 7 7 and I'll come back to the prodigal but he's away from home right now Hebrews 7 7 and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. The only way that the terminology blessed can be used is if the one doing the blessing is better than the one being blessed. The less is blessed of the better. That's the reason why that whenever Joseph took his old crippled dad, Jacob, into the palace and prestige of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, man, how old are you? He said, man, I'm, I'm old. I've had a hard life. I've seen them come and I've seen them go. But the Bible says, and this is Pharaoh, a man of 
pomp and power. All the wealth of the world has washed up on the bank of the Nile at his feet. This is a tremendous man. And the Bible says before Jacob, that old scrawny, old crippled, bowed over man left, the Bible says he prayed and blessed Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the only way that terminology can be used, this man that was denoted as great power, Pharaoh, is if the one being blessed is less than the one doing the blessing. So here's an old Pharaoh, amen, or a Pharaoh that has all the riches and wealth of the world at his feet, and some people think, man, he is a mighty man. Rather than him doing the blessing, it's the old man who is a part of the kingdom of God, faithful to the Lord, that was blessing him. How is that possible? Because in essence, to be a child of God is better than being a child of Egypt. And so he could do that as a result of this. So whenever the Lord says, hey, blessed is the poor in spirit, you know what? We can't be blessed by him until we think of ourselves or put ourselves in the position that we believe we're less than him. The better blesses the less. So I can't get, as my old grandma McGee used to say, under the spout where the glory pours out unless I make Paul McGee less in my own mind than what I think I am. Be the blessing only flows to the lesser. It comes from the better and goes to the lesser. So, 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 prodigal, what are you doing joining yourself to one of the same country that you're trying to escape? You can't get no blessing from somebody that's in the same predicament, in the same country, in the same famine as you are. Why don't you go back to the house of your father where there's bread enough even to spare because your life will be Bless, because right now you're less than he is and he's better and blessing always flows from the better to the less someone say amen so that is the case there of scripture here he comes back he comes back then he realized he can't be he can't be benefited by someone of the same status that he is they have to be a better status in order for his life to be blessed amen whenever he, you know because pride's a major, a major issue in life. It's been showed up in the garden. It's going to be with us till we die. But it is absolutely the root and a lot of the groundwork of a lot of sinfulness and a lot of selfishness. Pride is. It's the root of many things. See, pride says, pride says in today's world that I am my own person. I don't need anything. You can't help me. You can't add anything to me. That's what pride says. Pride says, I don't need your help. Amen. Pride, this is the best way I could... I think of today as I was doing some studying to illustrate it. Pride is a person carrying a heavy box. Their feet are shuffling across the floor as they try to carry it. Beads of sweat forming on their forehead and falling down their face. Undistinguished grunts and groans are escaping from behind the box. A steady panting rhythm is moistening the cardboard of the box. And someone asks, do you need help? Nah, I got it. That's pride. <laughs> I got it. I can do this on my own. I, I know I'm struggling. You can hear me struggling. You see the bits. Nah, I got it. That's pride. Mm -hmm. That's God seeing us flounder around with our life have our times of frustration, our grunts and groans, and all these inadequacies, and all of a sudden you hear, hey, you need some help? No, I got it, God. It's taken care of. It's okay. That's pride. And as long as we keep that formality, the blessing won't go this direction toward us. 
Amen. The poor in spirit are blessed because their nature is opposite to the nature that they were born with, which was pride. Poor in spirit is the realization that I need some help. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it my own way. It is understanding that man is incomplete apart from God. Man is incomplete apart from God. So I can't be blessed until I assume the position of less. And then my less, my poor in spirit, will be blessed by the better. You cannot have, we cannot have, let's speak in we terms, we cannot have what we do not possess when the purchase price is more than you want to give. I really want that, man, I just, I don't have that, but I really want it. How much is it? Okay, forget it. You'll never have, you'll never have what you do not possess when the purchase price is more than what you want to give. But we've got to come to the realization as Christians today, the purchase price for what we're desiring in the realm of church, in the realm of the kingdom, it's not more, it's less. Amen. The prodigal, he finally, ultimately fulfilled the role being the poor in spirit when in actuality in verse number 20 the Bible says and he arose and came to his father the poor the poor in spirit attitude was fully shown not whenever he just seen he was in need not just whenever he gave his proclamation of intention I will arise and go to my father no it's when he actually got up actually made the path actually went to dad and he said dad I have sinned before heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son just make me a servant what he was saying I'll become less dad dad says you just poised yourself for being blessed you said you'll make yourself less I say I'll make yourself blessed amen someone say amen so it's interesting to look that the first beatitude in, in verse number three it places the possession of the kingdom of heaven. Look, it doesn't say, it doesn't say for theirs shall be the kingdom of heaven. It says for theirs is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there's a principle, there's a principle concerning kingdom, kingdom things, a principle. It's declared whenever the word, the Lord was speaking to some uh, Pharisees, a company of Pharisees. He was in the midst of them. They were talking. He was speaking to them. He was speaking about this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And in talking to them, if I may read from the Revised Standard Version of Luke seventeen twenty one, these were the words he spoke to them. And talking to that, he said, nor will they say, lo, here it is. Speaking about, well, there's the kingdom or there's the kingdom. He said, for, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of, of you I like the way that this one per se said it because he was really unveiling something right there he was bringing a revelation to these people he said you're looking for the kingdom of God here you're looking at the kingdom of God over here he said but the kingdom of God is in the midst of you who was standing right there among them at that moment in time it was Jesus Christ it was God manifested in the flesh amen that was robed among them in other words the principle of the kingdom is this where the king is, there is the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Where the king is, there is the kingdom. 
Today, the literal King James Version says the kingdom is within you. Because whenever you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you receive the Spirit of Christ, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is in you. Because where the king is, the kingdom is there. Amen. Someone say amen. And so whenever he's speaking to these, now listen, the king and the kingdom will only exist where they have control. Uh huh. His domain is where he has control. And if we're going to put up our arms and say, God, not here, because I don't feel like being poor in spirit right now. I'm Paul McGee. I take care of it. I got my box. <gasps> I got it, God. <laughs> you know. Kingdom will not be there as long as you want to take the precedence of the matter. Matthew 13, and I'm coming quickly to a close. I've been up here for 45. I know, you hard, hard to believe in it, Sister Shea. Wow, that went by real quick. Matthew 13 and verse 44. <clears throat> again, the kingdom of heaven. Look at this. Speaking of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. And there's all kinds of parables concerning the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. But the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field the which when a man hath found he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Just from even this one simple little parable I understand that to be poor in spirit is to realize that nothing we have is worth more than the kingdom of heaven in the parallel of Luke in Luke chapter 6 it started out blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God now I don't believe this is by no means paint with such a broad brush than whoever's in poverty the kingdom is theirs that's not the idea there is an idea though that whenever you are literally physically in an economic sense poor you are more closer to having humility than you are pride Amen. Before in the terminology of mapping what the Lord was portraying to them, he's not talking about a physical thing. He's talking about a spiritual thing. Our poorness in spirit, our, our understanding that we have need, that there is something beyond us that we must depend upon. And whenever we get that down, we get that right, and we seek and pursue for that help, then the kingdom is not going to be ours. The kingdom is ours you'll stand with me this evening we'll go to the Lord in prayer and here at the end of the service we'll take up an offering amen will you help me pray right now that God will seal these things in our lives God I come to you this evening and I'm thankful Lord Jesus God thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.